Welcome to Screen Looking, a podcast where close friends take a closer look at their favorite video games. I'm your host, Andrew Kuhar, and you're listening to episode 18, another special edition from the archives, this time on The Last of Us. Arriving in the middle of 2013, The Last of Us served as a swan song for the PlayStation 3's decade-long console cycle. Developed by Sony's flagship first-party studio, Naughty Dog, it was their first new series after developing three full-length Uncharted games back-to-back. It displayed everything that working on that franchise had taught them, instead angled through a much more emotionally fraught lens by exchanging the globe-trotting treasure hunts of Nathan Drake for the horrors that awaited Joel and Ellie from coast to coast. This observation is just one of the many you'll hear in my now seven-year-old conversation with Jim Weiser, an old friend of mine from art school who quickly became a creative peer when it came to everything game, art, and design. Throughout our conversation, Jim and I earmarked both the highs and the lows of its inaugural chapter, an experience we found at once hard and easy to put down sometimes. As we retrace our own conflicts along Joel and Ellie's harrowing trek across America, we admire its attention to detail and captivating performances, yet ironically resist the urge for a sequel. Caught between civil unrest and a global pandemic, the game's setting depicts an America we are seemingly, and unfortunately, closer to than farther away from seven years later. Desolate cityscapes, masked couriers, medical tents on college campuses, imagery that would otherwise be confined to a more grounded version of science fiction is now a part of our daily lives and the news cycle. When the best of humanity is needed more than ever, How will a video game that asks you to sit with the worst of it land in 2020? On the eve of The Last of Us Part 2, its highly anticipated sequel, and according to the critics who have already played it, a challenging one, I hope our conversation at least offers a timely way for you to revisit its landmark predecessor, regardless of where you stand with it. So sit tight, because for the next hour, we're going to head back to September of 2013, when Jim and I finally got around to talking about this game. friends play video games and today I'm talking with one of them uh, my good friend Jim Weiser from back from college days at uh, Cleveland Institute of Art we both majored in game design there and he's here to talk with me today about The Last of Us by Naughty Dog you want to say hi there Jim hey there thanks for having me yeah no problem yeah thanks for coming on Uh, I've been really wanting to talk about this game for a while I don't know too many people personally who've played through the whole thing so you're you're one of the only few, and you just beat it. And um, did you um, have any like preconceived notions going into it of what to expect or what you were looking for? And you know, I mean, there's so much hype around the game; it was hard to avoid stuff. Well, I mean, I knew that I wanted to play the game as soon as I heard what it was, and, and of course, the pedigree it's coming from. So I purposely avoided the vast majority, as much as I could, of any kind of hype or pre-release stuff. I didn't want it; it wasn't needed to sell me, and I felt like mm-hmm. it would only degrade from. Uh, sort of the surprise of experiencing the story as you play it. So I purposely avoided as much as I could. I was aware of a few major plot points that were sort of everyone knew. You play as a guy named Joel. He's escorting a girl named Ellie across the country in an apocalypse where there's zombies because of fungus. That was about, oh, and she's not his daughter. That was about all the information I knew going into the game. And I really, to be honest, 
even knowing that much probably disappointed me in some ways. I wish I had never even heard of the game and someone just handed it to me like portal or something and said, here, play this. Yeah. I think I would have enjoyed it more hmm. because right from the get go, when you're playing as a girl whose name isn't Ellie, you know, as a narrative device, this girl is not going to survive because he doesn't have another person with him. Mm-hmm. You know, so I guess that kind of like, I think that beginning intro sequence would have been a lot more impactful if I hadn't known anything at all going in. And I felt like a lot of the, the narrative tropes that especially were in the beginning were very predictable. And that kind of disappointed me. Um, and I think I failed to see what the game did really well in those first two or three times I played it to the point where I lost interest uh, pretty badly. Yeah. What, what happened there? Did you, what, what point exactly in the game did you just full on stop? Well, I was playing with friends and they kind of wanted to see the story. It was, we'd played uncharted as a group uh, where one person played and everyone else watched. And so, you know, being from Naughty dog, the rest of my friends wanted to see it. So I played through uh, the whole beginning sequence um, and into Boston and we went all the way to the Capitol building mm-hmm. right after Tess uh, stays behind because she knows she's been affected. And that point, right when you're running away from the, the troops that have just shot her is the point where um, I pretty much just stopped playing the game. Damn, that's pretty early on. Yeah. Wow. You know, in retrospect, after picking it back up and giving it another try, because I knew there had to be a reason people are talking about it. Um, I really feel like that is the point in the game where in the next even few minutes, the game starts to get way more interesting. And I feel like I maybe just hit it. I just gave up right at the end of that, of the doll um, spot. Yeah, there's a lot of people that, uh, that have talked about the game, and m- most criticisms were that um, the first couple hours or the, fir- the first few sections right after the intro, which was paced incredibly well and, and this hugely cinematic opening, uh, the game slows down for a long time and as a very... It takes its time getting you to, where, to to the point where you're going through all the seasons at a regular pace. Um, I think when they introduce you to all the infected or the or the zombies, I thought that like um, I remember I, f- I forget where I was listening to it, but someone said how like the way they introduced the clickers was you know really great because they uh, they do it in such a way where you don't have to deal with them, but you kind of just are aware of them. And then I found the clickers and. I was like, that is not at all what happens. They totally make you deal with the clickers right away because that's really the crux of it is is you're, you're either choosing to hide and avoid things or you're stockpiling things and taking on enemies in large ways and you're, and you're running and gunning it. Um, but there's times where the game really forces you to do one or the other and it doesn't feel like you have much of an option. Uh, do, you, do you agree with that? Is that? Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely had a sort of idea going into it that I would be given more of an option as far as choosing a stealth path or choosing Mm. an aggressive conflict type path. And I really felt that wasn't the case. I was nearly always forced to fight. I felt I just couldn't figure out a way to get stealth to work. I felt Mm. like there wasn't enough uh, signifiers to inform me as to when I was about to break stealth, what areas I could be in and continue to be stealth. It was just really unclear to me. And Mm. I actually felt that that early combat in the game, particularly the first point where you have to where you meet a clicker and you have to confront it. There's no other way around it. They will not, the AI companions, Tess and Ellie at the time, will not proceed forward until you eliminate the, uh, the, the clicker as well as the runners around it. 
that was a really frustrating spot. I, I died many, many times, and I had a whole group of people watching, of course, making fun of me every time oh. I failed, which really hurt the the ambiance. And that's not fair. I can't hold that against Naughty Dog. That's yeah, certainly yeah. not the ideal way, way of playing it. But I, I got really frustrated, just completely sick of it. It was not fun on any level or even interesting. It was just frustrating, which is strange because you know I had the opportunity to hear people from Naughty Dog speak at GDC in the past, and they test every one of their combat scenarios with a wide variety of people and they document how many times it takes them yeah. and use that as a way to get a really good idea of how difficult, uh, how their difficulty curve is working throughout the game. And that first combat scenario seemed like an outrageous spike. Um, and I think it's a product of a, of a couple of things. You don't have the kind of tools that you, I think you really need to deal with that threat. Then I don't feel like I had enough practice dealing with lesser threats going into it to feel confident in using the resources I had. And I think my perhaps my biggest gameplay gripe with the game is the idea that Joel is not a soldier and therefore not proficient in combat and he should be a little bit inaccurate or, hey, or not do things super well is fine from a narrative point of view. I can see why they want to do that. But the way they chose to manifest that is by adding all of this random data into wobbling your crosshairs all over the place. And that was really irritating me, and I was really having a hard time, and it just made me feel inept as the player. It felt like it was getting in my way of experiencing the story. And it made me think about it from a design point of view. What would I do if I wanted to communicate that same goal that they had as far as allowing the narrative and who Joel is to inform the gameplay? Mm -hmm. And they chose to clearly make it a little bit more difficult or subvert the player's ability to aim properly. But I just found it so frustrating. And the only thing I can think of that maybe would have worked more successfully is you allow the player to still play at the same level of proficiency that they're capable of in terms of no sort of gameplay handicaps like wobble. But I think thematically in the way it's animated in the dressing around it, as far as the sort of the flavor of the game you can still make it done in a really sloppy sort of uncool way. You know, you know, the way that, uh, for instance, Nathan Drake is always doing stuff in the most stylish manner possible. Yeah. I think you go for the complete opposite of that in the animation and allow that. So he, you are playing as proficiently as you are capable of, but the idea that you're the personification or the avatar on the game or in the game is slowly becoming more proficient or more confident in their animations throughout the game might have been a more interesting mm. way of communicating that because I, I quit the game shortly thereafter. And when I came back, I was going through the menus and I said, oh, you can put points into reducing the uh, weapons way. So the first time I had enough points, I did that. And immediately the combat was viable. Yeah. I mean, the only real thing they give you is, yeah, I mean, all they do is they give you pills. It's universal currency to just upgrade. I think the way I found it was just the fact that they gave me so many things to craft and they're always enticing you to make things that there's these other options in the menu. And I think part of my just fumbling with the controls kind of helped mm-hmm. me find it. You know, I'm, I'm looking between yep. my journal and and uh, and my crafting crafting items. And I'm like, oh, you know, there's this other thing here. What does this do? And then you can just kind of find out you can upgrade things. I think one of the things I upgraded the most, um, I actually didn't upgrade the shooting uh, aiming at all. I, I ended up upgrading uh, the healing. Uh, let's see what else did I do. I think I upgraded the listening mode distance as well. And I did this knowing that I, I probably wasn't going to get a better stealth experience or a more passive experience, but more defensive experience. 
Um, I, I had this feeling going throughout the game, and I think what frustrated me, um, if anything, throughout it was this feeling that I felt like I was always going to not have enough at my disposal. Like, I always felt I was on the brink of, I'm pretty sure if I spend this last bullet or use this weapon one more time, something's going to come out of the corner and I'm going to regret that decision. And I need to have something always in my back pocket just in case something comes out because something always would. Um, And I found that over time that didn't really, that didn't really get me in a bind. Like, you know, I, I felt that the game was constantly going through this loop of giving me things slowly. I'd build them up and then giving me a situation where I had to decide how I was going to spend everything. You know, whether I use my melee weapon that I built up, whether I throw something somewhere and then throw a multi cocktail, um, or I have to like go in and take some hits and then heal a lot. And that was partly why I got the healing upgrade was just, I felt like I was healing so much and making so many bandages all the time that I felt, well, as long as I can heal quickly and make, make this stuff faster, at least I can like, you know, stay alive if I have to go in and like get dirty. Um, and in some sense, you know, that tension, it, it feel, it really did feel by the end of the game, like the game was designed to give you that tense feeling the whole time. What, now, whether or not that feeling is a good feeling or a fun feeling is, is, I guess is, is, is what one of the bigger debates about the game is about, but it didn't, it didn't take me out of the game too much until I got to Pittsburgh. I, I, I died at that section so many times. Like I, I could not take on that many enemies sharpshooting me, running at me, coming from behind me. The lighting was was not really helping. It's interesting to see a game where you, what, what maybe is appropriate for the environment or the setting you're in, just makes for a really, really nerve-wracking gameplay experience. Right, and that's a good thing. And I actually feel like them, the way that they rationed the resources was really effective. I, I feel like that worked out well. I, I was definitely used guns more than you did, but... um. I always felt like I didn't have as much ammunition as I wanted. Just got the last guy with the last round. So I do really feel like they did that really well. And I almost mm-hmm. wonder if they had a reactive way of populating more ammunition in mm-hmm. the world based on how much you had. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, we do see a lot of locales, a lot of different environments in this game. You have had quite a bit of experience doing environment art um, and level design, of course. I mean, that's that you, you're you're. BFA thesis was on that. Um, what did you think? What did you think of the you know the art in general uh, and and the and the setting? I mean that was really the I thought that was partly the star of the game uh, up until the characters really started to develop a ton. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel that probably the success with which the characters were realized is probably the primary success of the game. But I think the environment and the art direction is a really close second. And uh, I was just impressed with the variety quality the scale of uh the environment art and, and you know it's, it's tough to do it justice in words it really has to be seen in it it, um, mm-hmm. it really is effective with uh with only a few exceptions i felt like the environment around uh the roads when you were in the car uh, at the beginning didn't work very well the scale was completely off it just felt like the speed of the car the sort of just layout the distance of the buildings to the road um the even just the patterns of where the traffic jams were and where the crowds were didn't seem logical and like in relation to the hospital. Yeah. Um, that I felt really didn't work very, very well at all. And I don't think Boston was particularly interesting. It was a pretty city 17 ish, uh, with perhaps a little bit more reality. But, yeah. uh, I think from Pittsburgh, the point of the ambush on, uh, the environments are, are spectacular. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there was, uh, there was um there was a scene like the hotel I thought that really jumped out at me when I first got in it. Yeah, I thought the uh, hydroelectric plant was, was fantastic. And I thought there was just so many nice little details as, a, as an environment artist you're always running into, especially when you're doing a specialty type environment like, say, the science lab at the college. You don't always know off the top of your head what kind of objects are going to populate the space. And what ends up happening is people just stick crates everywhere mm-hmm. because they don't have you know, the resources to go do the research, go into the field and really get a good idea of, of what these types of specialty technologies look like to be able to model them. Mm-hmm. Etc. And, and Naughty Dog just did a, did a wonderful job. Was there any any in particular that really just the the detail of it really caught your eye, or something about it narratively uh, pulled you in? I think the hydroelectric plant was really great. I think probably my favorite though was the uh, the college. Oh yeah, in autumn. Yeah, college yeah. in autumn, which is that sort of quintessential setting, completely subverted, and you're just going through this empty place with just the click of the horse feet. Um, yeah. I think that was probably the most successful, particularly the, the exterior of the college. Yeah. And, and the sense of scale that they were able to achieve with the mountain ranges and the atmospheric perspective and all that worked really well, I think, throughout Colorado. Yeah, I thought the, um, you know, there's only a couple sections in uh, in the college where you really, you really have to take out a significant number of infected. But just being able to go through the campus, the outside, go through the courtyards, through parking lots, the leaves everywhere... There was uh, even some uh, uh, medical tents set up. Uh, it looks like they were set up like impromptu, just for the sake of like the, you know the infection spreading and whatnot. And you know just the fact that, like you said, yeah, you're going, you go to college in fall, so it just had that. It reminded me a lot of when we were in school and you're walking from one building to another, and there's leaves everywhere and there's a breeze, and it's it's kind of a peaceful thing. But in this game, as peaceful as it was, it was very very eerie. And of course, the ending of autumn was really uh, really shocking. I thought cinematically it was great. The way that uh, the way that you know Joel falls on a rod or some sort of spoke, um, yeah, rebar or something. Yeah, some yeah. sort of rebar after getting in a fight with with one of the um, one of the hunters. It's like they saved it to the last possible moment, but that whole scene where Joel is dizzy and falling over and he's clinging on for life and he's bleeding out everywhere and Ellie's trying to guide him, while like they're just doing things like blurring the screen and making the colors a little more saturated or making Joel fall against an object and, and the, you felt like the, I felt like the weight of him as a character really came, came through at that part. But you know, that, that whole section in, in general, I thought in the way it leads in a winner and the, the quick switch to the, to the setting was very, very, very striking. I actually think interesting. He responded that way because uh, you, if you had played uncharted three, you might have realized that, uh, and I was kind of distracted by this, that much of that was, taken directly from something they had already developed for uncharted three really um yeah you deal with um there's a couple different sequences where you are dealing with somebody who's wounded and that that case you are the one that's healthy but you're pulling through somebody you know with their armor over your shoulder while you're trying to shoot from the hip to cover and get them out of an area and uh, also the idea of uh, in uncharted three there's the idea of uh, hallucinogens that compromise uh your, your ability to to see and so mm. the, the environment has all sorts of distortion Did and stuff it's much more extreme but uh I, I was kind of distracted by the fact that like oh they they really recycled this uh the same with the snow and the winter sequence it's very much exactly the same as what they developed as the sand oh. for uncharted 3 and I, I did kind of that 
popped in the back of my mind. It sort of distracted me a little bit, but uh, you know, I, I can't really hold them against them. Yeah, it, I, only, yeah. it only makes sense to recycle. Yeah, it just happened at the right moment. I, and I felt like uh, for as you know, entertaining, constantly um, uh, pulling you through the experiences Uncharted was and making you feel like you were inside a movie, uh, I, you know, it's, that's, that's more of an Indiana Jones movie. Of course, it's going to be fun. And this is much more like and you and I have compared it to Children of Men. It's just, it's, it, it's like almost heartbreaking to play this game half the time because you feel like you're just giving it everything you got and the game just keep punishing you and then bringing you back up and letting you back down. The variety of like instances the game puts you in in situations, it's still, it's still a Joel and Ellie story that's making us sit tight. And I, I think it's interesting. It's not so much the story that pulled me through as an aspect of the story, and, it, and that is the characters. Because the story yeah, really yeah. is mm-hmm. a sequence of well-done tropes uh, from that genre. And when I found out that the game was basically Children of Men, I was really disappointed. Because I love Children of Men, but I don't really want to play it. Um, you know, I would have liked to have had a more interesting story that I didn't completely have a pretty good idea of where it was going. Uh, but I think what finally kicks into gear from Pittsburgh on is that you start to see the strength of those characters. And prior to that, I didn't really care, care about the characters. I hadn't spent enough time with them that there really wasn't a whole lot of story incentive to keep me going. It was Mm. just kind of trope after trope. Whereas I think going into Pittsburgh and particularly by the end of Pittsburgh where you meet Henry and Sam, the characters start to really work. And at that point I was interested in what was going to happen to the characters and how that they were going to go through this sort of predictable sequence. And uh, that worked really well. It's really probably the, the primary success of the game. Yeah, I, I think the the most interesting part of Joel and Ellie's surrogate father, surrogate daughter relationship that, that they've adopted each other basically was, to me, the, the strongest part of the whole game and was, um, was really the only thing that made me feel that Joel is a redeemable character by the end of this game. You know, the beginning of the game, you, you see him lose his daughter. And then throughout the whole game, he's having this back and forth of, you know, do I want to take this girl across the country? Okay, I'm taking her, but she's going by my rules. And then when she runs away or tries tries to go off on her own, I get really upset at her. And there's that scene um, not too long after you get out of Pittsburgh where she runs away and she's in the forest. You find her in the cabin and Joel and her have this really, really intense argument. Uh, that was that was one part where I thought the performances were just like off the hook from that it's point fantastic. on. Is this really all they had to worry about? Boys, movies, deciding which shirt goes with which skirt. It's bizarre. Get up. We're leaving. And if I say no? Do you even realize what your life means? Huh? Running off like that, putting yourself at risk? It's pretty goddamn stupid. Well, I guess we're both disappointed with each other then. What do you want from me? Admit that you wanted to get rid of me the whole time. Tommy knows this area. Oh, better fuck than... Well, I'm sorry. I trust him better than I trust myself. Stop with the bullshit. What are you so afraid of? That I'm going to end up like Sam? I can't get infected. I can take care of myself. How many close calls have we had? Well, we seem to be doing all right so far. And now you'll be doing even better with Tommy. Not her, you know. What? Maria told me about Sarah. Ellie? You are treading on some 
mighty thin ice here. I'm sorry about your daughter, Joel, but I have lost people too. You have no idea what loss is. Everyone I have cared for has either died or left me. Everyone fucking except for you. So don't tell me that I would be safer with someone else because the truth is I would just be more scared. Um, it's it, like you said, uh, you said, I mean, when we talked about it earlier, it's one of the few instances where it teeters on that uncanny Valley territory, but it totally is convincing. Well, and actually, uh, as playing through the, when I was playing through the game, I didn't really think about the uncanny, uncanny Valley very many times, but there was one point where I did think about it. And the reason it came to mind was because I was surprised that I wasn't seeing it. And yeah. that was, uh, some of the conversations with Henry right after Joel has been pulled out of the river at the end of Pittsburgh. And it's before there's been the reveal that uh, Henry's brother was infected. Mm -hmm. um, and just them talking about, oh, he hasn't seen his brother laugh in so much time. And the way the characters were emoting. Most games, the characters do some sort of emote that is, this animation is to represent happiness or regret. And they just sort of do that. And it's not really the character expressing that. It's very much like holding up a sign, happiness now. And yeah. I thought it was remarkable that this game managed to do it right as a character. And I didn't experience the Uncanny Valley. And I actually, in a sort of weird uh, fourth wall breaking way, was impressed by how well it worked. And that it was like, wait, this is a game that's actually working. Like, this is kind of remarkable. Yeah. The scenes between Joel and Ellie, uh, I found really touching. And, and you know, Joel makes some, you know, globally strange decisions. But these are the two characters that you're with the whole time. You have their story, you have the context, you have, you know, the reasoning, the thought process, the, the moment to moment experiences that build up. I, I just felt by the end, like I was like, this is a guy who is completely broken and he just wants a daughter. That is, that is all he wants. And we're not given very many details about his relationship with his, uh, his actual daughter, Sarah. Uh, we don't really know where the, where their mother is at. Uh, if, if he had a wife, if she ran away, if she died, we don't know what his r relationship really is with Tess. There's so many details left out, but the only thing that we're really shown without them really saying it is just how badly this guy wants to have a family and he wants to be together with somebody. He, he does not want to be alone as much as he puts on uh, you know a strong, a strong impression of himself or says, you know, I, I can deal with this. I don't, I don't need this or he's not even honest with himself. Oh, yeah, yeah you can read them so easily like a book. Just this guy wants to protect Ellie. He wants nothing bad to happen to her. He, uh, wants to get her across the country though. He's like, you know, he's kind of just wants to do his job and, and get this thing done. He cares that she, she feels like relevant and has a place and he's, he's trying to take her cause potentially she has a cure. She's, she's immune. Um, but then goes back on that cause he starts, you know, changing, deciding what he values more potentially getting a cure or having a daughter that, you know, he, cause he lost, he lost one for mostly the same reasons. In response to some of the things you were saying, one of the very small things that really made a big impression to me was just the way the informal dialogue changes throughout the game where at the beginning, he's more or less referring to Ellie in a, in a clinical way. She's, she's a parcel. He has to get somewhere. 
and I noticed yeah. a little bit after the point where he leaves his brother uh, in Colorado, he starts calling her uh, like, hey, get up here, kiddo, and stuff like that. And just that, mm-hmm. just the little pet name, like it just stuck out to me so much that even the way that the character is speaking and thinking and subconsciously referring to uh, his companion has shifted throughout the game. And it's just a really good example of a, a subtle way of allowing the character to grow without having to, to be as heavy-handed as most game writers end up being. Were there any beats or moments of dialogue or you know monologues or anything anything particular that struck you the most uh, above anything else? Well, yeah, I could tell you. Um, so I played through the game pretty rapidly after my initial uh, sort of failed attempt to get through it. And it was pretty late when I got to the hospital. And, of course, it starts with the cinematic where Marlene is telling you, you know, she's alive. Thank you for bringing her. But, you know, there's a really unpleasant reality that we're going to have to face. And she feels compelled that she has to authorize this surgery that will kill Ellie. And at that point, it was pretty late and I was probably getting ready to be done playing anyways. And I just felt such a looming dread. Because at this point, like, I actually cared about the character, which... It's pretty remarkable considering the game isn't that long that I'd, I'd built sort of unknowingly that much attachment to the character. And I felt just so much dread I couldn't go forward. And I actually put the game down for another two or three days. And I, and I think I mentioned this mm-hmm. to you a few yeah. times that I just couldn't bring myself to finish. I didn't want to know what happened as <laughs> I just had a feeling it was going to be so bad. Yeah, that was really interesting to hear your reaction to that. That you almost you didn't want to see what maybe inevitably would have happened. Well, I really thought he was going to get there too late, that she would already be dead. I thought so, too. And that he would do so much damage that he would have ruined anything she would have accomplished. And they both would have been completely wasted. I was pretty much expecting that. And actually, when I played the game, I stabbed the doctor when I got into the surgery room, which I don't know if you have to do that or not. I did, too. I I couldn't find a way to not. Because I Uh, put one of the attendants' head into the wall as well, (laughs) and that wasn't. Uh, required i don't think no the other two the other two just kind of shake in horror uh i've heard of people mowing them down just just clobbering them like no i need you're all you're all done i you know i actually felt that that sense of dread i felt that immediately when i picked up ellie because at that point you can't use your weapons anymore um they really play with your sense of space with the way they uh, turn the emergency lights on and, and you, things get kind of hazy and the music comes in and mm-hmm. you're just running with Ellie. And I feel like at that point, um, you know, you, you, you talk about wayfinding a lot. I felt the wayfinding in the hospital was very confusing to me all of a sudden. And it felt really intentional. Like I just had the sense of, I have no idea where I'm at. I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea where the nearest elevator is. I'm pretty sure I'm going to die here with her in my arms. Uh, just like, you know, almost the opposite of what happened in the beginning of the game where Sarah died in your arms. I, I just thought, you know, wow, I, I got her. I got to her on time. I saved her. I, and it's still going to be like this, the most dramatic watching this, these two characters lose each other uh, when they've gotten this far. Um, it's almost one of those things, you know, in a game where you, when, once you collect something, the cinematic goes up and you know, you're done. Uh, once you open the door, you know, you're done. But this is a moment where it's like, no, I, the fate of these characters is still in my hands. Even when I feel like I finished it, uh, so it almost felt like an interactive epilogue at that point already, or like an interactive ending. That comes into question, you know, are they making us play Joel at that point? Because, like, you know, again, with not being able to choose between stealth or gunplay, 
uh, between how many characters we have to take out or sneak around or uh, this, we don't really make any narrative decisions in the game of who these characters are. They've decided for us. It's very authored. Is it, did it, did it feel to you too? Like they were just like, this is who Joel is. This is something he's going to do and you can't decide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely felt that way, especially going into the hospital. Mm-hmm. At that point, I felt like I was no longer playing as me, the character, or as me informing the character. It was very much reacting to um, you were playing out what that character would do. You had no choice. And I, and I think it kind of would have been interesting if you did, but I actually respect the decision that they made to have you do really what made sense to that character. Yeah. Yeah, going back again to him just this is a character at this point. I don't think he would let anything get in his way at this point. You know, from the moment that he uh, shot that guard in the stomach point blank when he didn't have to, after he found out where Ellie was, or even after that point where um, back in the winter scene, and that's something we should talk about too, when he was torturing that guy to get information. Joel has shown on a number of occasions how nasty he can get to get what he wants. You may have noticed going through the game uh, right after the ambush happened, she asks him, oh, how did you know that was going to happen? He goes, oh, I've been on both sides of this. Uh, oh. kind, of a, kind of a throwaway line. Later, when he gets when he meets his brother in Colorado, you, you know he's estranged from his brother. Yeah. When he meets his brother in Colorado, there's comments to, to the extent of, oh, I kept you alive through those years, to which his brother replies, it wasn't worth it. And it, it definitely sounds like they were part of a hunter group taking advantage of other survivors, and that's how they survived for several years until eventually they split ways. And Joel ends up in Boston, and his his brother is out west. Wow! But it, it's a subtle thing. I mean, maybe you didn't notice, but it no, I didn't. I didn't pick that. I mean, I picked up the sense that maybe he was you know doing some real uh, some real shady jobs to keep his brother alive, whether it meant getting food or getting ammo or getting shelter. But it didn't really dawn on me that maybe he could have been um, he could have been completely you know like uh, he part of this faction or that faction. Entirely. Yeah, I, mean, I, I really got the impression that he basically was the same as any of those NPC characters you would have been running into yeah. throughout most of the game. Jumping back to the ending real quick, um, when you grabbed her at the end and you're, you're running, uh, the first time I did it, I was walking backwards because I felt that the game was going to require me to use her as a human shield, that there was nothing. If you turned your back to the troops that were following you, there's no reason they wouldn't just shoot you. Mm. So that added to the confusion of the wayfinding. And the first time I did it, I didn't go the right way or I didn't go fast enough. And the animation plays where a soldier you know, knocks you down and she falls out of your arms and they grab her. And then you're on the ground and they just hold the gun to your head and shoot you. And I thought that was the end of the game. Mm. Like it completely faked me out. I was like, wow, that, that's it. That's that's what this is. Yeah. And I was actually relatively OK with that. And then when I respawned, I was like, I was genuinely surprised. Um, yeah. And at that point, I was like, oh, there is a way to get through this or this isn't the end yet. Uh-huh. And again, I was really, um, you know, kind of confused by the wayfinding, which I think is effective at that point. Then almost by accident, I see this light beam go through a doorway to my right. Oh, I got to go that way. And that is the jog mm-hmm. that takes you over towards the elevator. Yeah, that happened to me, too. When I did die, yeah, the animation was it seemed pretty staged. And from the angle I got it as well, it looked framed somewhat meaningfully. Though I, when I did die, I thought, you know, there's no way they're going to end this game on that. Just, just that. Um, so I was, I was pretty, I was, I was actually very, very happy when they let me try it again. Though I wish I could have just, you know, done it the, the right way the first time. Because it just felt so much like a movie at that point. You know, there, there's nothing on the screen. 
it's one of those games as a clean UI. I love when games do that. It just, it, it lets you really adjust and sink into the environment. You're not worried about what your life is, what your ammo is, where the enemies are. You're just, you're experiencing the environment very much like you would if you were in a place you weren't before. Um, shortly after the hospital, we have the actual full on ending. Uh, what you, what, what was your reaction when you, when you saw it, when the credits rolled? You know, at the point where he's in the car and he's driving away and it's sort of that, it's that moment of when he looks over at her, that's when you, you kind of know that's the point where the ending is pretty much known at that point. Yeah. Um, so, you know, going beyond that point, it was just kind of like, just see what they do. I, I appreciate it when game designers put in the effort to actually have a sort of a narrative reward for making it through and, and, and some closure. Which I think they gave just enough. I think they did a really good job. I like the idea of also ending the game with another character, just like you open the game with the surrogate daughter or the real daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, of course, the major point of interest is Joel's lie at the end, which I think is completely consistent with the character. But that, in combination with the extent to which he's gone through to achieve this ending, uh, some of the hints about his past. You know, what you did to the fireflies, what her wishes would have been in the whole matter. You know, I just couldn't help but feel that it's like, you know, the real surprise is Joel was in a lot of ways the villain all along. And but they did a really good job of not forecasting that too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could definitely see how his actions could be villainous, but you, it always felt very justified. And it wasn't until that entire ending where you really see that he's flying in the face of the best interests of virtually everyone else. Except yeah. for maybe Ellie, who, while he's not going against her best interests, he is going against her will, probably. Yeah. And they did a really good job of pulling that all together without being heavy-handed and without uh, foreshadowing it too much. Yeah. Uh, uh, the only part that they really probably um, you know, hinted at the fact that our view on Joel could get turned on its head a little bit was probably right at the winter scene where you take up Ellie. Uh, you, the only other time you play is Ellie besides the ending where um, you get to hear uh, someone else's perspective on who these characters are. Is it David when you first meet him? Really huge chills up my spine when Dave, I'm calling him Dave for short now. Super familiar. <laughs> yeah, we're just first name basis. When he first tells you, oh yeah, you know, a lot of my men died and were beaten and uh, it was by this guy who was with a teenage girl and you just get this, like that feeling that someone's behind you that people have been watching you this whole time and you play games and it feels like games are never really judging you take down as many people as you need to steal as many cards as you have to. And it's all for the sake of finishing that next goal. And the fact that the characters in the game are like, you did things that, you know, logically would piss other people off in this world. (laughs) And we're not going to let you get away with that. And you have to understand that the things you did are not, as virtuous as maybe you think they are just for the fact that you succeeded in doing them or it, it just, it, it wasn't like a fourth wall moment or anything like that. Um, but I really felt that it was the first time a game just told me flat out that your actions have consequences without saying that, you know, just like you said, they don't hit things on the nose necessarily with the writing. They're just saying you're not, you know, you're leaving a paper trail and we've caught up to you. You know, you're not alone in this world. Yeah. I was talking uh, with a friend about that or something in the game and he hasn't played the uh, last of us yet but uh he said oh that reminds me of uh the book version of i am legend really? which um is apparently a bit different from the film 
but in that you have another similar situation where you have one man arriving against this sort of uh, mutated other humanoid type uh, population. And in, in the book, apparently, the the vampire monsters eventually develop to the point where they become sort of a society and there actually is a culture. And the one last human survivor is the boogeyman that they scare their children with tales of at the end. And he realizes that he's become a legend apparently. And that's, that's where the title of the book comes from. I, I don't recall that being in the movie at all, but um, mm. it definitely felt that Joel has that same sort of role within the world. And I could definitely see him like in the history of the world if anyone within that fiction knew what he did, you know, he would be an arch villain. He would be a monster. He would have been responsible for the the for ruining humanity's hope as a as a species. Yeah. I mean there's Ellie was potentially the only uh suitable chance at finding a cure and developing a cure, but seeing where these characters get to from the beginning to the end and what do you think about a sequel? Or anything that this game might follow up from? I really hope they don't, to be honest. Me too. <laughs> uh, I think from a gameplay point of view, this game is is a sequel to Uncharted in a lot of ways. It's almost a total conversion mod. Um, and that allowed them to basically solve a lot of the gameplay problems ahead of time and, and really just focus on the story. And I would hope that they continue to build on the sort of gameplay forms that they've already developed and, and uh, do some new stories. Uh, if they do want to continue this story, I hope it's maybe something in the world with completely different characters. I, I think they tied this off neatly. And I think it is kind of a problem in the world of game design that everything has a sequel. Uh, this stands alone really well. I, I just don't see mm. a need for it. I thought the ending, what happened, what transpires, I think it says everything you need to know about these characters uh, I don't really know what to expect. I don't know how I would expect, expect them to change uh, from this point on besides for, you know, they did a time jump in the beginning of the game where Joel is 20 years older. Unless they did something dramatically like that, that really takes a lot of explaining to get through. Um, I mean, Joel, he's lied and survived his whole life. And Ellie has grown up already and had some, you know, some really volatile experiences as a young kid learning that this is the way the world is. Um, it's hard to tell like where these characters could go from here. Not that the stories that they could tell wouldn't be interesting, but um, it just seems like this is an excellent snapshot of what's happened to these characters. Uh, and this is the reasons why they have each other and they're not, they're not nice. They're not easy. They're not clean. Yeah. It just felt very, very, uh, very, very succinct in what it wanted to say. Um, and it gave you a lot of different points of view. It gave you a lot of different environments. It it you know it has glimmers of hope, has a lot of a lot of sad moments, but it, it's hard to tell like you know what what else do you need to say? Um, yeah, absolutely. I feel like it really was a cohesive whole, and I just feel like it would be way too easy for a sequel to cheapen what was accomplished in this game when you allow that story to continue and potentially radically change. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've heard everyone suspecting that this game is definitely going to get something else because of how much it's sold and the fact that the amount of time they put into developing so much of it, it's like whatever, quote unquote, guaranteed a sequel. But uh, it just seems like they designed it so that, you know, we want to do something different with what we already know works and they did it. And 
you know, hopefully they can find a way to, you know, do what Naughty Dog does best without having to make its make it overstay its welcome. Um, well, I, that logic just bothers me right there because this is an original IP and it sold well. So then the logic is to just create a sequel to this property. Yeah. If this original IP sold well, why not do another you know, original IP yeah, that will right, probably right. sell well if you do it at comparable quality, which Naughty Dog does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really hope they don't. But, yeah. you know, if they made one, would I play it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really kidding. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm going to play everything that they make. But, um, yeah, I, I hope they don't. But I also, I think Naughty Dog probably shows more restraint than a lot of developers in terms of doing a good job and not cheapening what they've already accomplished. And I personally believe that, you know, sequels and games, games that do well, I guess, you know, business-wise, they make, they make sense to me. Um, you know, you made an engine, you made assets. Why not, you know, make a game for way less of the cost it made it t- took to make the first one? But I think from the audience's perspective, and, you know, I'm going to go ahead and compare the, you know, like the, the, the model to whatever movies or whatever other medium are going to have music. But, like, I feel like I have a much easier time digesting sequels and other mediums because for me, they take so much less time to digest or to consume. Whereas the game like this, you play 14 hours of it. It's like, I've, I've spent 14 hours with it. You know, do I need another 14, 15 hour experience? Is that going to give me something significantly different or just more content? And not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just, you know, from, from a, I guess, you know, from where I stand and where I've, what I've come to like change in my tastes in games. I, I, I can't take too much of any one game almost at this point. I like knowing that I got through it and that there's, you know, a reasonable beginning and end time. Um, you know, there's so many other things going on in life. It's just having to sit through, you know, 60 plus hours of the same experience virtually over and over again. Um, I guess I just, you know, that's, that's one of the things I appreciate the most about the last of us is that the, the narrative is like, you know, it, I thought it really, I thought it was really impactful and just getting to sit with it for what it had to say. You know, I felt like I walked away and had a good narrative experience. I like you, I'd almost feel pressured to play a sequel if it came out again. Mm-hmm. And actually the last of us reminds me of another game I played recently, which was a uh, far cry blood dragon in that it feels like a total conversion mod to its predecessor, uh, the uncharted series. And I do think that that, potentially is an interesting direction in the sort of maturation of game development is that instead of doing a sequel to get the you know the money and the value out of all of the effort you you put into building an original ip is to you know take a lot of that mechanical core and apply it to a completely different kind of story and and you know perhaps from a game point of view there's a lot in common there's a lot shared design problems that have been solved for both but to me it seems like a better way to get the value out of you know developing the engine and all the, the techniques and the design uh time than to just build a sequel especially when you don't really have a compelling reason for it to exist you know that's a great point there we finally got to talk about it yeah <laughs> we've I, we've chatted and i am quite a bit about the game but we haven't had an opportunity to talk uh vocally yeah i know yeah it's been a while i mean the last time you were on the show was uh january yep. uh so I, th- I remember like back then we were talking about games we were looking forward to the most. I'm pretty sure you pointed this one out as the one you were looking forward to the most. Um, yep, yeah. I beat you to it as I recall. Yep. Yes, you did. But uh, yeah, so we finally got around to it. And thanks for coming on and talking to me. 
Uh, we did this real last minute. I mean, you literally just finished the game, but um, I thought hot off the heels of finishing is the best time to talk about a game. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to episode 18 of Screen Looking. If you enjoyed your time with us, leave us a rating or review from wherever you tuned in from, and better yet, let a fellow gamer or friend know about us. You can also follow us on Instagram or Twitter, or both, at Screen Looking, one word. Music in today's episode came from the original soundtrack to The Last of Us, which was composed by legendary guitarist Gustavo Santolayo. Thanks to my friend Jim Weiser for joining me way back then, and also for being cool with me re-airing it all today. I wish everybody good health and safety in these summer months ahead. So take care. We're with you. Happy gaming. <laughs>